Dancing in the apocalypse! I gotta get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle! I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello everyone and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 244 and I'm coming through the door. It's your host, if you want and in the studio with me are my friends. Uh, so let me introduce you to them. But first, I gotta let y'all know it is the last day of Max Fun Drive. So if you've been putting it off, if you've been waiting for the last moment to be the dramatic addition to the number count of new and upgrading members of Maximum Fun, well, here's your moment. We're in the third act. The dramatic bass trumpet has went off. We are marching towards victory. It is time for you to get to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And to everyone who has joined, upgraded, or boosted their membership so far, thank you so much. Even if you couldn't, but you hit that retweet, you helped us out because we're trying to spread the word and letting folks come through the floodgates of fun. I'm an anonymous friend yet to be introduced here in the booth, but I agree <laughs> with Ify Wadiwe here. Um, we, we've been doing the fun drive for two weeks. We appreciate everyone that has joined or upgraded since then. And if you've been on the edge, on, just in the edge in general, or on the edge of uh, <laughs> supporting us, or if just thinking about it, um, please do. It really does mean a lot. It allows us to do this and to speak to you from our hearts and from our unique, you know, important and individual perspectives. Um, and hopefully it's fun. And so if it is something that means something to you and you would value and merit it, then feel free to put a price tag on that i'll say it this is america i'll put money on it but anyway it would mean a lot if you could and if you've been putting it off now's the time and as friend of the show jordan moore says you tip your waiters you tip your baristas so you know tip your podcasters if you enjoy what you uh what we lay down what you listen to throughout the year not just us but all the shows on the network that you're a fan of uh, go for it you know this this is definitely the time i know i'm always getting hit up like my college always wants money from me. And I just know that even if I say, oh, hey, I'd like to support, you know, the, the student publications or the theater department, they're just going to probably throw that money into a football stadium or some nonsense. But what the great thing about donating to Max Fund is you get a whole page where you get to pick this show, this show, this show, Maximum Film, a show I love. I want my money to support that show. And it's going to go there with the, the shows that you choose directly receive your support with the company, you know, taking a little bit just to keep the lights on and, and the office running and all the all the day-to-day -day stuff that, that thankfully we don't have to contend with because uh, we're on a network that takes good care of us. So yeah, it's the last day of Fun Drive. Uh, tune in tonight for the big finale that will be hosted by two of your favorite uh, Maximum Fun, uh, Maximum Film hosts, Drea and myself. Uh, we hope you'll join us for that. Two of your and, favorite. Uh, and we hope you were able to join us this year. We'll be able to help us out this year. If not, we get it. Maybe next year. Uh, but yeah, like Giffy said, all the times you hit retweet, all the ways that you helped amplify the Max Fund Drive, getting the word out to people who, who did have the means this year, we super appreciate it. Thank you. So let me introduce you to those voices. Uh, <laughs> the one who just uh, closed very strong with that banger of a conclusion to our final pitch on Max Fun Drive is none other than the super critic himself, Christmas Zaddy, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Oh, I'll tell you, if he, you know, it's spring, which means, you know, of course, Max Fun Drive, but it also means uh, pollen. 
everywhere, uh, uh, choking the life out of you. And so just a quick reminder that of all of these sort of uh, bullshit tree hugger cures you're ever going to hear that don't do a damn thing, there is one that is absolutely useful, and that is gargling with apple cider vinegar. Uh, if you feel any kind of cruddy buildup in your head, especially in your throatal area, little bit of apple cider vinegar. I know it's tough to get in your mouth at first because your body is saying, no, get that out of me. But once you get used to it, do some gargle. I, I don't know what the enzymes are. I don't know any of the science here. All I can say is it totally works. So uh, yeah, get that in your life if it's not already there. It was really not to give you a, that's what she said right in the middle there. <laughs> it really, it was really begging for one. <laughs> Oh man! Well, um, we're gonna keep the ball rolling. That other, <laughs> as it were, ama- yeah, as it were, <laughs> that other amazing, smooth, soothing voice. It's none other than the one who sits upon her throne as queen of the Midwest, super producer, programmer, Drea Clark. What's good? No one has ever called my voice soothing. I veer more towards the strident. Oh, contrary. That's that's more my vibe. Um, What is good with me, I've already discussed in detail over the years, my love of my Libby app, giving me digital Mm -hmm. access to my library. But I have been currently storming through a bunch of recommendations that I was kind of taking. You know, I'm sure everyone has that notes page where they keep like recommended books or movies that people talk to them about. And I've, finally remembered that when I was checking out books and I just flew through something that my friend Saucy recommended to me called Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. If you are a fan of fiction um, and female perspectives, it was great. It's a British author. It's set in England. It's this, it starts as a kind of, oh, is this like a love story, whatever, but it's really this woman who is going through a year of her life where like she's determining ghosting in different things the idea of being ghosted by a date um her father slipping into dementia and the idea of watching someone you love become a ghost of themselves it's all right the title basically but i highly enjoyed it and it was also one that i read and i was like Ugh. the option the film option of this is guaranteed snapped up like there's <laughs> no way i won't be seeing a casting announcement about this or finding out that it's in like development hell. Um, I hope not. I hope it's made by someone. I'd be happy to make it. But until then, you should read it. Ghosts. Okay. Well, uh, you know, we oftentimes have amazing, fantastic, just phenomenal guests on this show. And today is no different. Today we are joined by writer, editor, founder of The Dissolve, and lately author of The Age of Cage, Keith Phipps. What's good? Oh, what's good? Well, that's, that's quite the buildup. I have to live up to that now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I also I also read a book. I, I read uh, Bob Odenkirk's memoir, Comedy, 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 Drama, uh, which I, I quite enjoyed. I mean, I, I saw, he's someone whose career I follow back from Mr. Show, the great sketch comedy show. And there's a real like, you know, he writes just like he talks quality to 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 his memoir, uh, which is, you know, it's a voice I know from, you know, you know, a podcast and talk show appearances, but also 
you know, the humor that, you, that comes through in his, his comedic work. I think it loses a little steam as his career picks up steam, like towards the end. Like, you, you get some nice insights into Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but it, it kind of turns into, and then I did this, which is, you know, a lot of memoirs do. But the early stuff uh, about, you know, starting off in Illinois as a sketch comedy nerd and uh, and it, it, the kind of path he followed through Saturday Night Live, he's kind of an unhappy stint at Saturday Night Live as a writer on through Mr. Show and so on. It's, it's really good stuff. I, I really enjoyed reading and watching would recommend it. He directed a film that I programmed at Slamdance 15 years ago called Melvin Goes to Dinner. Oh, he writes about that screening. Does he? I was going to say. Did, I was and, wondering. And about and how there's sound problems uh, at the screening and how, yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think it was his favorite screening. I don't think it's your fault though, right? No. I think uh. it had nothing to do with sound. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Libby, I bet there's a hell of an audiobook for that one too. Mm. Ooh. Just a hunch. Yeah, Ify, what's yeah. good? Uh what's good with me is I got uh two goodies today. Two very good good goodies, fun toys that I'm uh, gonna be playing with while I vacay in the UK. Um so uh first off I got a Leica Q2, which is uh, you know, a nice fancy schmancy point and shoot, uh, which was great uh taking shots at Nomi's parties. But one of my favorite features of it, which is a newer feature for a lot of the like point and shoots, is you can Bluetooth it to your phone. So now, you know, you can just pop that over on Instagram. <laughs> Which is oh, the phew. most like, which is the most like millennial like no gush kidding. about a product. I was like, <laughs> I could just take this photo and put it on Instagram. Uh, and the other thing is the Steam Deck, uh, which you know I'm gonna try and make this quick so Alonzo's eyes don't glaze over. <laughs> but um, it's a portable gaming PC that just released by Steam, and all all the games on my Steam library are able to be used. And I'm about to sit on a 10 hour flight, so it couldn't have come at a more perfect time. So uh, that's what's good with me is uh lots of lots of fun toys i'm gonna be playing with it's very you one of my favorite short mean reviews ever written was there was a play back in the 50s i want to say called i am a camera and uh one critic in london merely wrote me no leica (laughs) (laughs) oh well see that's that's so if anyone wants to diss this camera now you got got someone already did the All right. Well, today we're going big for Max Fun Drive. Nicholas Cage Big. We'll be discussing the unbearable weight of massive talent. And later we'll pick out some stars we'd like to see play themselves in a meta adventure as well. But first, we're going into Inedic, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Where we go over the week's movie news. Uh, CinemaCon last week, theater owners celebrated what they're hoping will be the end of a dark period in theater-going history. And one comment sums up that sentiment best of all. Regarding day-and-date releases of blockbusters like Matrix Resurrections and Dune, IMAX CEO Richard Gelford said they had their chance during an existential threat to the whole business, and it didn't work. That's an experiment that's over. Uh, Day-and-date, of course, meaning that A film premieres uh, on streaming platforms, in this case, HBO Max, uh, on the same day that it opens in theaters and even on big IMAX screens. Is this important? Do you care? Yeah. Oh, this is a this is a bummer. I mean, I understand on a financial level, but they also there's such a wide range of films that could benefit from day and date. Like there's tons of films that their theatrical is like what? 
you know, 20 markets. I think he means specifically IMAX day and date. You know, I don't, oh, for sure. It, it's not That's like the Duplass company. brothers aren't going to have movies that are day and dating. It's just that these, these big jumbo effects driven spectacles. Uh, yeah, so, that's, wait, wait, you think that the uh, Duplass brothers aren't going to make an IMAX film? Look, I saw everything everywhere in IMAX. So uh, clearly like the, anything is possible at this point. Um, I, I am bummed, though, even on the blockbuster level, because I saw both Matrix Resurrections and Dunes the day they came out on HBO Max, and I wasn't going to go to a theater, and apparently there's more of them than there are of me. <laughs> um, so selfishly, that's a bummer. But it's also that thing, like, it's such a skewed element of there's filmmakers that certainly got screwed out of those choices because they weren't involved in the decision-making process to do them that way. And there's also the, the promotion of them of, 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 and of who has access. I don't know. Right. Well, and also like when they say it didn't work, well, Maybe it didn't work for IMAX, but that's not to say that like more people like you didn't get to lay eyeballs on those movies that would have otherwise. Yeah, and I wouldn't have gone to the IMAX. Anyway, sure, and so. it doesn't and it doesn't mean that more people didn't subscribe to HBO Max to get access to those movies. So he, you know, he's he's his fiefdom is what he's talking about, and so yeah, for him, I could see where day and date would be was a problem, and where you know the 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 pandemic obviously did wreak havoc with uh, traditional brick and mortar theatrical, but you know when we say it didn't work i think we have to remember who, for for whom didn't it yeah. work? you know oh yeah i feel like we're seeing the pendulum swing in an inter- interesting way when you're seeing like the numbers that everything everywhere is getting you're seeing the numbers that a lot of the marvel movies are getting where like it you might wonder if it if it is kind of like a worth it thing for the sake of accessibility, you know, like that's that's one thing i'll always get where like you know i think with the day and date stuff I think what made it exciting for a lot of people were people who have anxiety with theaters or, you know, just in general, finally were able to be a part of that, you know, experience. I know, you know, on paper why (laughs) cinema (laughs) and, and theaters aren't the biggest fan of it, but I hope that this just leads to them trying to find a middle ground. It's weird how quickly we got used to, to being able to watch films at home immediately. Right. I mean, and I, I enjoy the convenience of it, but I also, you know, it, it, it became kind of, it almost felt like it became accepted as as what the normal way to watch movies rather than this this, this window that was had opened up because of the pandemic and uh, it's it's uh, it's the day and day stuff that's abnormal in a way. I mean, I, I kind of still like that you can that movie has the theatrical experience first. I realize that there are all kinds of issues about accessibility around that, but uh, maybe I'm just old fashioned that way. But I, I do feel like you know movies and theaters are or something. I, going to see movies and theaters is something I do, do not want to say goodbye to. No, and I definitely see both sides of that. I mean, I I feel like I'm annoyed that Disney has decided that Searchlight films, with the exception of one or two Oscar contenders, are just all going to go right to Hulu. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would have been nice if, like... Deep Water or Fire Island or other films like that had had at least a shot at some theatrical, but you know, the, they are kind of being, there is the sense of being shunted off to streaming now. Um, but you know, I think that, that streaming did a lot of good during that moment where just going to theaters wasn't feasible for the majority of people. And, and yeah, I, I think we do need to have the conversation about accessibility for the people who aren't able to just 
go running back to theaters in the way that a majority of the audience is. Um, but you know, I, I, I agree with Ify. I think there, there should be some sort of middle ground there where, where all of these audiences can be accommodated. Yeah. Okay. Something. Nope. I'm not going to do it. I was going to try. I was going to try and tie those together, but I'm going to stick with my tried and tested. Speaking of movies, <laughs> Badoom. Um, it has been over 12 years since James Cameron's avatar hit the 3d movie screens with a splash. Finally, this week, people at CinemaCon saw a trailer for the new film, Avatar 2, which will actually be called Avatar The Way of the Water. And apparently the footage really impressed convention goers. Is this important? Do you care? I I think The Wet of the Water would have been a better title, but that's just me. Um, (laughs) I've got an idea. Water World? Tell me more. Um, Can't go wrong. (laughs) Speaking of, you know, theatrical experiences you can't recreate at home, I mean, I think we all learned the hard way in 2019 when Drea made us watch Avatar again on uh, Disney Plus or wherever it was streaming. It's like, oh, yeah, you really kind of have to see this in 3D or it's it's utter nonsense. So I am looking forward to seeing this on the big screen because it's going to be a big, goofy, gorgeous James Cameron thing. Um so I'm I'm curious about it. I, I have you know I, I continue to think that that the original Avatar is you know this movie that was massively e- economically successful while having no foothold in the culture whatsoever. I've never seen an Avatar T-shirt. No one's ever quoted it. No, you don't read in like political op-eds where they go, oh, it's like that part in Avatar where you know like nothing. You know we're still we we still talk about you know take the cannoli, but no one talks about Avatar that way. So maybe the sequels will sort of you know. Change Change that and give us something to stick to. Take the cannoli. That's from You've Got Mail, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, also, it seems like we're also dipping back into 3D with this, too, since mm-hmm. the attendees were given 3D glasses. So will this cause another resurgence into 3D oh, movies? Could we please <laughs> once learn something from history and not do that again? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like th- I feel like our new buddy, IMAX CEO Richard Gelfond, would... Uh, <laughs> Have a lot to say about 3D as well. I am. Um, I'm kind of. I mean, Avatar just didn't do it for me. And like, I, I like. I'm a no. James Cameron admirer. I saw it, and you know, I honestly, I saw it, and I thought, well, that's gonna go. That's gonna go over like a lead balloon, and it became the most financially successful film ever made. But I think you're right. It does not. It does not have the cultural foothold that, that you might expect. And maybe that's because it doesn't work at home the way it worked in theaters. I am, you know, I, I will have. Hopefully, we never see that 3D "quote unquote" explosion again after that, because that was, Ugh. you know, so many of them look bad. But I mean, I will give Avatar this. The, the 3D is great. James Cameron is, yes. is always oh, yeah. in pushing technology, and I, I want to see what else he wants to do. Whether, you know, as a James Cameron admirer, am I thrilled that he's seemingly devoting, you know, he makes a film a decade, and he's seemingly devoting the rest of his career to this Avatar world? <laughs> Not really, to be oh, honest. All your but, Could we get more Abyss sequels? No How kidding. About do Abyss yeah. the way to water. <laughs> it's right there. I, I mean, ultimately, I think the, uh, the ideal, you know, uh, medium for these is the theme park attraction you know like i think a really sort of pricey sit down dark ride thing uh and and which it's going to be and there's gonna be a whole like avatar avatar worlds coming to the disney parks but yeah i think you're right keith like it's it's the it was the phenomenon of seeing in theater in that extraordinary 3d that it that just enveloped you and made you feel like you were in it 
that that's what that's that's the movie's currency and so seeing at home or you know god forbid reading the screenplay you know you're not going to get any of that Mm. sweet Mm. all right well on that note we're going to take a break but when we come back we're feeling the unbearable weight of massive talent Hey, y'all. What's good? I'm popping in because I want to talk to you about boosting, okay? Boosting is when you add a dollar or two to your monthly contribution, and it counts as a method to get us towards our goal. It's tight, right? <laughs> you make it sound like something out of Fast uh, 11. Foley, he came in. I want to talk to you about boosting. This is regarding the Max Fun Drive, yes. although there probably is a cooler kind of boosting out there. But really, what is cooler than already being a member and then adding a dollar or two to become more of a member? Because those go towards our overall numeric goal, which is always nice to have. And as you know... Um, we're hoping to breach 450 new upgrading or boosting members because aren't we going to do something if they do, Alonzo? Oh, yeah. That's our first of a few stretch goals. But if we can get to that first number, uh, we will do, once again, as we did last year, a drawing among those new uh, uh, upgrading and boosting members. And you guys get to pick whoever wins that drawing. Uh, that lucky uh, donor will get to pick a movie for us to devote an entire episode to. Last year, we did the mind-bending anime film Mind Game. What are we doing this year? It could be your pick. It could be up to you. You can make us watch anything you want. Um, the mind reels, frankly, and where that could even go. So uh, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have your name thrown into that particular hat. So, you know, look, it, we we appreciate, obviously, every level of membership we get. And I think sometimes when people hear upgrading member, they think, oh, I'm at 10 and I have to go to 20. And that's, oh, I can't swing that. And I get it. But maybe you're at 10 now and you can swing. 12 or 14 and it's not going to be a noticeable bite on your checkbook uh it helps us a great deal it does help us reach those magical numbers that we want to get to and it's just a, a way to sort of boost your support of the show give us a little cost of living increase if you will boosting boosting spread the word let's get back to the show <laughs> Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Keith Depps. Alonzo Duraldi. As an actor, Nicolas Cage is a man of many faces. Sometimes he even takes that face off. Cha-cha. But in the unbearable... <laughs> in the unbearable weight of massive talent, the face he wears is his own. Alonzo, can you summarize this one for us? Oh, sure. Uh, Nicholas Cage is Nick Cage, a looks like him, but not quite the same uh, version of the actor that we have come to know and respect and meme over the years. Um, he is desperate to get cast in a film. Uh, it's not working out. He is estranged from his ex-wife, who is annoyed with him, as is his teenage daughter. And so he accepts a gig to uh, get paid a million dollars to go to Mallorca to hang out with a rich fan uh when he arrives he is cordoned off by uh two cia agents who tell him that the fan in question is uh, uh mixed up in in drugs and gun running and possibly has a candidate's daughter uh held hostage somewhere on his estate so in addition to playing the role of 
uh, movie star dealing with fan. He is now also trying to play a spy. Uh, but what happens is that the, the guy that he's spying on, whether or not he's a criminal is a really cool guy. And he wants to write a screenplay and he writes a screenplay that starts to seem very familiar to the film that we are currently watching. And that is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Alonzo, you did so good, hon. <laughs> oh, thanks. That was great. One things I, uh, had to learn that I learned from this uh, movie is that Nicholas Cage is a Coppola. I, I the cage worked on me. That stage name worked on me. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and who, do you know who he named himself after if he, no, who uh, Luke cage power man. <laughs> okay. Well, he look, he only keeps getting better. He only <laughs> keeps getting better. <laughs> Uh, also, you know, born in Strong Beach, so you know, I have I have nothing but love, you know. So, oh man, yeah, that's so. Yeah, what did what do we think about this first act? Because you know, it's funny because I feel like Nick Cage is like Meme City now, and and one thing this this movie really reminded me of, like there was the their point where like yeah, Nick Cage was like the superstar. He was he was that guy, and then he somehow became like. Like, I don't know if it was the millennials, but he was like the jokey kind of guy. And then we learned that he was bankrupt and then he was doing weird movies. And now it feels like he's just genuinely doing like artistic movies that he wants to rock. Well, we have a Nick Cageologist with us. So I think maybe oh, yeah, we should I know. Uh, get some extra <laughs> yeah, why don't we testimony use here. That? Yeah. Ah, well, where, where do we start? Uh <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you think, because he is, he's playing um, a persona of his both a public persona and like you don't like a public facing persona. That's also meant to be an internal persona, but then also reflecting on so many different characters that he played. I thought they was, what'd you think of them weaving all of the different versions and personas of Nick Cage in? I think it was pretty clever. I mean, this this film kind of hung over the writing of my book because it was announced after, as I was starting to write the book, I'm like, wait, is this going to make my book irrelevant, you know? Or is it going to be kind of a dumb version of what I'm trying to do? Uh, it's not. I, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. I thought it was quite, quite clever. I think it's a smart way for Cage to kind of lean into the, you know, just the weirdness around his fandom, his public persona, the, the, the memification of his career, which, which I think he's, he, I know he's talked about as, as a double-edged sword. It's kind of kept him in the conversation, but also, you know, are we laughing at him or with him? You know, is this sort of the, the question with, with that? Um, I mean, I kind of hope it's just, it's, there's maybe kind of a line in the sand where it's like, okay, we've, we've, we've had, we've had our fun, you know, laughing about various aspects of, of, of Nicholas Cage's career, but maybe it's, you know, and now he's, he's joined in and maybe it's time to like move on and take him seriously as an actor again, but, but who knows? But, you know, I, I thought, you know, some of it worked better than others. I, I thought the younger Nicholas Cage was really funny, but I think it kind of may have been a little more, in some ways kind of been a little more pointed, a little more integral to, to the, to the actual storytelling in some ways. But, um, you know, I, I, I like that the references were, there's some obvious references, but some deep, deeper cuts like you know we, we get references to guarding tests and uh captain corelli's mandolin and and so on and so forth there uh so it's, it's definitely written by people who understand cage's career and kind of i think they capture some of the unease you get being nicholas cage where you really are an enthused you know an interesting actor who's very enthused about acting as as a pursuit but 
also you've you've picked up all this other baggage over the years um for some some of your own creations some of the because you know your your acting style can, can be reduced to you know youtube supercuts that only capture like the biggest moments and <laughs> lose the context um and just because i don't know does some people or just become icons for weird reasons or or weird icons i guess that's kind of what's happened to him in some ways one of my favorite things about him is that he is so like just balls to the wall. Like he's so committed in his performances, regardless of, and like he'll calibrate them. I mean, certainly your leaving Las Vegas is going to be different from your guarding Tess is going to be mm-hmm. different from your Zandali. Like you're getting <laughs> such a range oh, of, like, of what he can do. Right. And, and yet he is as earnest about all of them as seemingly earnest. And there's like a sincerity to how he approaches things. And to me, that translated to this film, um, which which was the idea of, oh, we're getting a glimpse, even if it's this fake version who has a teenage daughter instead of two sons. And, you know, that he's married to Sharon Horgan or <laughs> divorced from Sharon Horgan. I mean, well, not her. A she character not played, played by Sharon Horgan. I was like, sadly, <laughs> she was not playing herself because that would have been even funnier. But the one of the things that I appreciated was it did allow the idea of he cares so much. Like this movie starts with him, but he's, it starts with him at lunch with a director and he's pitching himself and it was freaking David Gordon green. <laughs> and that blew my mind. Like, cause he's an old indie person, like that guy I know. So I was like, wait, I'm sorry, David Gordon green. And it was the most, Perfect. I was like, yeah, this is who Nicolas Cage would want to be. Making well, who and has with. directed Cage before, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, it it just it, it made sense. Like, if you know that world, and if sure. you don't, he's just a stand-in. But I loved that. But it also showed just the Nick Cage's commitment to his craft. Like, he's like, I, yeah, I stayed up all night. Uh, do you want me to read? I'll read. Like, mm-hmm. he's Nicolas. He's world famous. A list. Like, yeah. Anyway, I, I, like I think that sometimes we there are people who sort of lump Cage in with the people who will just be in anything where you meet their quote. You know, uh, like I, I'm thinking your your Eric Roberts is probably the reigning king of this at the moment. He oh, will yeah. be the voice of your talking cat movie if you pay him enough. <laughs> um, you know, Liam Neeson uh, with a gun and a grievance. How many of those movies are we going to get? You know, uh, but like. Like Cage, even when he's cranking them out, is always committed to the bit. He's mm-hmm. all, he is committed to a movie, whether it is you know something that is kind of you know d- sort of like th- th- a movie like uh, uh, oh, what the one with Nicole Kidman where they're being held hostage in the house. Oh, trespass, trespass. Thank you. Which just feels like the kind of thing that was that that, that an algorithm created to sell to international markets. You know, he's as committed to that as he is to like a movie that I wanted to love and didn't but still i'm glad that he made it and that you know Sion sono's prisoners of the ghost land you know so like it, you're right whether it's guarding test whether it's moonstruck with whatever like cage is never just blithely showing up and doing it he is giving you full court cage no matter what and and that you know merits respect and that should be honored and i think what's what this movie gets right is this idea of you know, don't call it a comeback. I haven't been anywhere, you know, and, and, and the idea that, that he, whatever the role is, he's going to, he's going to give himself to it. And, and so I think that, you know, that, that's one of the things that I love about it. I mainly, I think my, my biggest surprise was I thought this was going to be a one joke movie and it wound up being a lot deeper than that and going to a lot more places. 
obviously of course it you know validates my feelings about paddington 2 which didn't hurt hmm. uh but i died no. <laughs> i died when paddington 2 came up i was like well lots of Oh my god! You made this happen. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was real funny too because I like I bumped into Phil after watching it, and I was telling him about the movie, and he was like, "We got to it first, though. We did it." <laughs> yes, Grand Crew did 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 claim you know, the Paddington Two yeah, ground yeah. in the culture. But it was first. it's so. But but to to me, I'm like, this is now just a cultural like thing that Paddington Two is like. <laughs> It's the it greatest movie wreck ever. wreck you. Yeah, and now I was like, I got, I, I now I need to watch it. But I think that even that element and then the references, like, the, that there's a callback to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like, <laughs> that, that also speaks to Nicolas Cage is a unique star in that he's such a cinephile. Like, right. he's, his historical knowledge of film through the ages and what he's channeling for each character and all of those things. I, I liked seeing that brought up in the idea of. And being part of a dynasty himself. Yeah. And, and yeah. I just, I, I enjoyed that. It also touched on his love of film and that he takes film seriously as an yeah. art form and yeah, like as I mean, ridiculous as you think. Yes, please, Keith. No, he'll reference, he'll reference, you know, his earliest interviews, he references German expressionism. Like, you know, he, he grew up, he literally grew up on it because his father, August Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's brother, uh, just sat, sat the family down and they watched Fellini and they watched Kurosawa, they watched German expressionism films. And, you know, he got, you know, at, at a very young age and, you know, you get that kind of crash course early on. I think, I think it sticks, it sticks with you. Yeah. Didn't he always say that, um, like, uh, Nosferatu was um, a reference of his for uh, the sh Shadow of a Vampire. Vampire's yeah. Kiss. Vampire's well, Kiss. kiss. Yeah, yeah. Shadow of a Vampire later, which which uh, which uh, you know about the making of Nosferatu. But yeah, it was actually right, right. a clip clip of Nosferatu in in Vampire's Kiss. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, but I so I loved just those that they, they kept touching on things in his real life, and the honestly the one moment that took it the most like oh this movie makes me feel like i know this man better is at the very end he and the whole time he's just he's wearing nick cage clothes right he's got like shiny button downs and stupid belt buckles and like heeled boots and there's this moment with his family at the end where they like make fun of his enormous belt buckle <laughs> and he tells the story his awareness of the absurdity of his accessories, I was like, oh, come on. I mean, how endearing is that, right? Like, not only are you in on everything about your persona or about, like, I'm the guy who yells or whatever, but that you also get that you're, you're like, yeah, I see how I dress. I love it. But yeah, I, of course, I'm not blind. I think a project like this is a gamble because it it runs the risk of cementing people's dumbest idea of you and turning it mm. into reality. But I think, and I'm terrible at sort of predicting this kind of thing, I think that this is going to augur a whole new age of Cage in terms of the way we think about him, that we think about him as somebody who has enough of a sense of humor to do a project like this in the first place, but also that a project like this brings out all the stuff that reminds you all of the good things that maybe get buried under the, the tax debts and the castles and the dinosaur bones and the whatever other kooky stuff that you pick up along the way. I think this is, 
in a way, he sort of cleared the the table, and we get to sort of start over with him again, and just remember the good stuff, and and celebrate the good stuff that he's going to continue to do ostensibly as his career continues. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's. I mean, what I think is the fact that he turns Nick Nicholas Cage into a real character that with uh, with dimensionality that that's not just you know overblown. Hollywood superstar who doesn't understand who he is, but I mean, I think it's it's it's, it's a lot of it's in the script, and but I think a lot of it's in performance too, where, where it it never really turns he, he turns doesn't turn himself into a cartoon for this film, and I think also it really helps. It's it's a really great you take out all the meta elements and the cageness of it, and and it's it's a it's a fun buddy comedy. He and Pedro yeah. Pascal are just really good together. Pedro Pascal, oh my, I God. Mean, is a delight. <laughs> Like, just a babe for the ages, but he also is so good at, and in this too, because you're like, oh, he first seems sort of unassuming, and then he seems, maybe, oh, is he threatening? Like, there's all this, and he, he bounces back and forth between those so well, because he is just like this, ah, oh, what a goofy, wonderful sweetheart, and oh, yeah, I believe that guy would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky balance. I think a lot of actors could give you one or the other, but not both. Plus, he pulls mm. off a cuffed pant and a loafer. Like, not everyone can do that, you know? That's a skill. He's such a dreamboat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish kills it as well. Mm. Like, it was real fun just having her kind of also play, like, the least heightened character in a film for, you know, like, it was, you know? <laughs> well, like, the card like counter she, also. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it was like really cool to see her kind of like flex that muscle and show her range in that way. And uh, yeah. It, it I do just, wish she would have been able to do more though, because yeah. I liked, and that's that's maybe the part where it was, that made it, oh, this was a super enjoyable watch, but I'm not probably going to think about this a lot, um, which is fine. I like movies that are just an enjoyable <laughs> watch, but the it's, it's, um, it's her and... Uh, Ike oh, Barinholtz. I thank you. I was like, Ian Ike Barinholtz <laughs> are the CIA agents, and they're fine and they're funny, and they get she. In, it's primarily her. She gets the job done in terms of setting up a few comedic set pieces of him needing to do espionage nonsense. But that was the thread that felt most tenuous, and then. No. A, the biggest, like, oh, the, oh, that's how that part's ending. Oh my, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's kind of abandoned. I think I, they kind of get short shrift. Yeah. I like I like Haddish and Baronholtz in general, and I think they're both funny in their scenes here. But but yeah, they they they're forgotten about it for a certain point. He may yeah. he, his character probably died. It does. It's unclear. Yeah. We we assume. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, let's vote. Yeah, let's vote, go ahead vote, and vote, vote on it. Vote, vote. So yes, Keith, how we vote on this show is uh, there's three voting levels. Uh, <laughs> screen it, stream it, and skip it. Screen it being the highest, stream it being the middle, and skip it being self-explanatory. So with that being said, now do you want to start, Drea? I'll start, yes. I'll show them how it's done. This for me would be a screen it. This was so enjoyable. This was like, oh, this is a big movie. And it also, it lived up to its premise, right? Like if you see the trailer for this movie and you have ideas of what you'd like to see, what sort of fan service, what sort of fun, what sort of buddy cop, like it clicks along. It's super fun. It's a big movie. And it all centers around an actor that I love that I feel like it, it does right by him. He's done yeah. right by this this meta experiment of sorts, and I, I highly enjoyed it. 
it's not super like, oh, yeah, you're going to think about this as much as you thought of adaptation, but <laughs> it's not trying to do that. I think it does what it tries to do. Yeah, I, I'm also a screen it. I, I, I'm amazed at how many good movies we've gotten in the first third of the year. Usually this is a bit of a wasteland, but like there's a lot out there right now and streaming right now that's that's terrific. And this is one of them. It absolutely lives up to the high concept. Um, Cage totally like takes us to, to, to deeper levels than you imagine. And he and Pedro Pascal have like a great sort of, you know, homosocial, uh, bromance going. They're a lot of fun together. I, I, I had a blast. Yeah. I would say screen it. Yeah. I, I, this yeah. is, this is, this work. This really worked for me. I saw it with a crowd at the Wisconsin film festival. Um, you know, I, the first time I saw it, so it was like huge, huge relief to me. It's like, Oh, this movie's, this movie's good. I like it. Uh, but also like it just went over really well with, with the audience too. So it, it's a, it's a fun thing to see in the theater and if not catch up with it later, but, but yeah, while you can screen it. Yes. And oh yeah, I'm gonna screen it as well. I had a real fun theater. I knew it was going to be fun when they cheered after the Nicole Kidman preamble. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, this is the, this is the audience for this movie. So it was real fun to kind of like really kind of have like that energy in there and everyone really enjoyed it and it was uh, very fun. So definitely screen it. And I, yeah, that, I think that's my first time really being in like a fun theater for a comedy since, you know, the pre panty. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a good jammer. This is a good jammer. Like, um, truly worth the screen it but uh we're gonna we're gonna you know take a quick break but stick around we'll be right back and we'll continue some more maximum film we'll be back to the show in a second but first another message about max fun drive how do you put a number on the value that this show and maybe other shows on the maximum fun network have to you uh, is it worth the same as, you know, your daily coffee addiction, like one or two days worth of that, let's say? Uh, is it worth uh, what you're paying for certain streaming services or certain streaming music services? Uh, do you revere your podcast friends the way that you revere uh, the music and TV and movies that you get from various other services on the Internet? Well, we're big believers in film reviews here. I'm a film critic and the reviews are in from our listeners and y'all have had some lovely things to say about the show during this year's Max Fun Drive. That is right. There's a tweet from Sam that says, if you're on the fence about supporting Max Fun and you get enjoyment or comfort out of some of their shows, I encourage you to do it if you can. Maximum Film, which is us, The Greatest Generation, My Brother, My Brother and Me, and Depression Mode make my life a little brighter, and I'd be sad if they went away. Yes, and also, Justin Helmer added a shout to us along with other great Max Fun shows, like Jordan Jesse Go and the JV Club, saying, Maximum Film has been absolutely key to becoming a better viewer of films. If you Wadiway, Drea Clark, Alonzo Duralde, bring it every single week. You'll laugh, you'll cry, there's a decent chance things will get horny. Snap this one up on physical media. So uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, thanks you guys. Thanks to everybody who has left such wonderful, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
tributes on on Twitter and elsewhere. We super appreciate it. We love doing this show. We love getting to talk to each other once a week and keep up with the new movies. We love interacting with our audience. It's great. We're so thrilled that you're even listening. Like, and if you aren't able to, uh, uh, you know, be a new contributor this year or an upgrader or a booster, we get it. Times are tricky. We're all still reeling from the last couple of years. Just the fact that you're here is enough, and we love that. But if you can financially support the show that we put a lot of work into, that uh, you know we it's, it's taking out time in our calendar, it is part of our work life um, to bring to you, then we love that, we appreciate it, and we hope you can make it happen this year. Uh, this is the we're and we're wrapping up Max Fun Drive, and uh, it's been great to hear from everybody, and we hope that you can really help uh, goose our numbers as we make it to the finish line. Thank you as always for being listeners. Y'all are the best, and if you. You are uh, a supporter of Maximum Fun. You're the bestest best. All right. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Maximum Film. It's your boy, Ify Wadiway, in the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. Keith Phipps. Drea Clark. And we're going to do a fun little game made by super producer Marissa called The Unbearable Weight of Even More Talent. Here's a question that was inspired by this movie's very unique setup. What actor, alive or dead, would you want to get this kind of meta retrospective movie where they played themselves and were constantly confronting their own careers? S- let's say, Alonzo, why don't you start? Uh, okay, I have a couple in mind here, but my I think the 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 more the mainstream choice, which which I could even see me getting made. I think Tom Hanks could do something interesting with a, a role like this because like Cage, he has covered such a a swath of roles. I mean, not nearly as you know, crazy in terms of like hopping around from from you know, like tiny indies to to big studio products. But like this is a guy who started off like first of all, made his film debut in a slasher movie. Um, you know, did two seasons on a sitcom where he spent a lot of time in drag did, you know, was in like bachelor party and, you know, volunteers and these really wacky comedies and then does big and then suddenly becomes like genuine dramatic leading man, but still like everybody's beloved dad. Um, so I I don't know. I think if you like, if you had a, a situation where like the, Tom Hanks character from bachelor party is put next to the Tom Hanks character from saving private Ryan. Let's say, you know, I, I think you, there's going to be a, some interesting, uh, uh, mixing and matching there. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that would be a career that would be interesting to have him sort of walk us through in, in whatever kind of weird way somebody could come up with. Surely they'll touch on Joe versus the volcano. Absolutely. So, How could they not? Many say is his best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I love that movie. Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> I'm going to jump in with mine only because it's short, because it comes with a caveat that this person needs to make m- just more movies outside of the movies that they're doing for this to work. But, you know, I think I would love a Vin Diesel one. A oh, Vin God. Diesel, I think he's uh, I think he's a girl. He's he a can't. Interesting- how do you do this with Vin Diesel? Exactly. He gives the same performance in every movie. Exactly. But like exactly. also they're already linked. Like, ooh, yeah. like Fast X is going to be this movie. Yeah. But like, like if you he's think gonna, about it, this he'll man, also play Bloodhead. Yes. <laughs> this, this, 
This yeah, yeah the, uh, bloodshot. You mean? Yeah, so I, I've decided blood- it's bloodhead, and I'm sticking <laughs> yeah, with it. He's sticking <laughs> with it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, because when you think about it, it's like yeah, it's bloodshot, the triple X movies, Fast series, and Pitch Black. Like. Yeah. And then his 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 indie film that Dre loved. Um, yes, his Sundance <laughs> smash. Yeah. yeah, smash hit. So, like, it would be interesting to see kind of like a more one-note person try and do this <laughs> and just be like... I think that movie is JCVD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad someone brought that up. Oh. Um, yeah. uh, okay, I have one. It's not... If, if, if you... Just side note, JCVD, please go watch it. It's the Jean-Claude Van Damme like you'll there there it's the cousin of this movie of yes. the unbearable weight um my person that i would want to make a meta film about where uh she was weaving in and out of her characters would be judy greer oh. um, and because so like how the the overarching feel of unbearable weight is this like espionage buddy comedy action that sort of genre little baby Mm. aesthetic um in judy greer you could do a rom-com as your kind of overall but a little bit of a rom-com hybrid like because of course it's gonna have all these meta components so she's the leading lady and the leading lady's 20 best friends that she played and her best friend exactly (laughs) and like it's yeah anyway i think that it could be so nice there's so many movies to not do. like in the rom the rom-com vein you have the 13 going on 30 the wedding planner she was even like that timid intern and in what women want like mm. there's all sorts of things there and then there's you could also have a judy greer murderer out of jawbreaker <laughs> yeah, and she, she's she's an adaptation. She can kind of do an unbearable weight yes, crossover. Yes, she's the waitress. Yeah. That's such a good point. There's, and there's if, your, if we can bring in her character in. from Arrested Development, so much the better. So hmm. I absolutely would insist upon it because <laughs> if she's not flashing her chest at people, what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> I would be so down for a, a meta deep dive into Judy Greer. Love it. I got a little stuck on this. I, I kept thinking about Dana Stevens' book, The Cameraman, and how cool it would be to do, have a Buster Keaton playing himself in a biopic in, in, a, in a Buster Keaton movie, you know, Buster a silent movie style. We'll we'll never get that for, for Ooh, many many reasons. But it's a fun thought experience. And if you if you want like a taste of it, he did an episode of The Twilight Zone in 1962 called yes. Once Upon a Time, where he someone played someone from the 1890s uh, who tra- time travels to 1962. Uh, and it is, you know, it's straightforward in that way, but because it's Buster Keaton, it feels a bit like the silent movie comedian reckoning, you know, with how, how the world has changed since the silent days. The first part is, is filmed, you know, as if it were a silent film. It's a really neat episode. Uh, so, you know, check, check that out and kind of imagine the full-blown Buster Keaton meta film that mm. might have been. I feel like you could edit that with like beach blanket bingo and have like <laughs> you're halfway there yeah well, there was a famously terrible buster keaton story with donald o'connor mm-hmm. that apparently just made up all this life stuff like donald o'connor said he talked about asking you know buster keaton about this stuff and it's like you know in the movie you know his dad dies when he's a kid he goes well how old were you when your dad dies like 43 you know <laughs> it's like nothing was remotely like accurate and donald o'connor Bless his heart. Is was no was no Buster Keaton. Um, iffy um, question in this. Now, would you rather do one of these that was um a a meta uh 
take um, on Renee Zellweger or on actual Judy Garland? <laughs> Real funny. And the answer would be Renee Zellweger. Uh, Actually, you can if you if you get the director of Aline to do Renee Zellweger throughout the various life yeah. stages of Judy Garland, maybe that Ooh, would, they're, they're, they're now we're talking something. <laughs> if um, his dream come true, I was thinking it'd be fun to see, um, like uh, like a Ryan Gosling or even Ryan Reynolds, because those are two folks who like kind of came from the rom com camp and then like kind of like distanced themselves as they gotten in their career. So my version of this movie would be the rom com version of themselves being like, <laughs> well, we, "Don't try and abandon us. Don't try. You got to do another. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you got to come back. You got to come back sometime." Um, I do have a. Uh, it's not even a runner-up because it was. It's really. I'm. I'm going to go forward with both of these projects. I just need to secure these actors. Of course. But I feel like this whole thing, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh like, well, it's right. There. That's a miniseries. What? Right? You're right. You can't do that just in one film, but in the same way of um, someone who like you feel you know their public persona really well, you do all of the like ins and outs of his different characters you they, you have to like do a running gag about bleeping curse words or something <laughs> yeah it's like that feeling when you go back and you watch goodfellas and you're like oh jesus sam jackson was in this it's like you think you're gonna pop in you know greed and he's gonna show up in that too like he he has always been with us and he will yeah. be in every movie ever made so many movies. I, I I think it would also be an interesting movie to have that where where Paul Rubens is the lead, but Pee Wee Herman is also a character. Ooh, <laughs> uh, just you know, because he is somebody who has sort of subsumed his real life self. Like we don't ever, we hardly ever hear from or see Paul Rubens as Paul Rubens and living life as Paul Rubens, but he is you know a creative genius and he has this character who has you know become iconic and 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 a, the star of a series of films but like even i think even in the credits of the peewee movies it just says like peewee herman in peewee's big adventure or whatever like paul rubens is this invisible man in this in all of this and so the idea of like the two of them together as co-stars i think would be fascinating would watch yes indeed all right. Uh, let's 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 uh, you know close the books. We can't give too many great ideas for free. Uh, and if y'all want any more, if y'all are enticed, feel free to pay us. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a fancy way for me to say. Now it's time for our staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Drea, why don't you start? All right. So obviously, in honor of Nicolas Cage, I had to go with uh, a film from his oeuvre. And uh, I'm going with something that's uh, that sits at an interesting intersection of other things that I love, which are westerns and film noir. And it is a film called Red Rock West. Ooh, good one. Um, it's currently on Peacock, which is, I think, the only place. It's oh, is it? Right okay, now. so it just resurfaced because I had I'd like to, I had to like get a, a DVD from Australia on eBay to, to, <laughs> for the book. Yeah, no, it's so I I've enjoyed this film for a long time but it is currently available if you or someone you know has peacock who's willing to give you their sign in but yeah it is um it's from the early 90s directed by john Dahl. he is a like veteran drifter who comes to town looking for work gets immediately um he gets an accidental um identity 
moment. Actually, this is literally every screen drafts I did wrapped up. I did multiple or mistaken <laughs> identity. I did Nick Cage. I did Neo- Westerns, Westerns and I did a noir for the incinerator. So uh, <laughs> it's all right there. Really enjoyable. Um, yeah, check it out while you can. It is hard to find. Yeah. Buy it on physical media. As there we you say. go. So Even you if can you can have it from Australia, Australia or wherever you can get it. <laughs> Uh, I thought about going the cage route, but then I started thinking about other movies that feature, uh, you know, cinema icons playing themselves. And the timing seemed right for this one because we're about to get a new version of it from the director. Uh, but now it's going to be an HBO miniseries and it's going in a very different direction. But go back and watch the original Irma Vep from 1996, starring uh, the legendary Maggie Chung as Maggie Chung, who comes to Paris to film a new version of uh, the silent classic Les Vampires. And, um, you know, art house shenanigans ensue uh it's it's a great movie and she is perfect at just sort of you know encapsulating her persona as sort of a as a movie star but also just the the in and outs of 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 being a working actress it's a great movie that i love i'm really curious to see how director arno de plachon is gonna uh sorry no olivier assayas how olivier assayas is gonna go back and um Revisit this material with Alicia Vikander, which is what's happening on the new HBO show. But in the meantime, you can see the the OG Irma Vep on HBO Max. Keith. Keith. Uh, well, I, I, so I, did, I didn't prep a cage, but I feel like I'm kind of obligated. Like people ask me like which which you know Nicolas Cage films they haven't seen that, that maybe they they should. So real quickly, Red Rock West is always one I name off. Uh, Matchstick Men is another. Bad Lieutenant Protocol, New Orleans. I feel these are kind of like the, some semi slept on Cage films in some way. But I just I was I'm just really big on the new Celine Shyama movie uh, Petite Maman, uh, which also you know it connects because there is there is some doubling in it. It's it's a it's a film about an uh, eight year old girl. Uh, named Nellie, who goes with her parents to clean out her maternal grandmother's house after she dies and wanders into the woods and meets a girl that looks a little bit like her. And uh, uh, the the girls are both played by by twins. It's just sort of this lovely little thing that that by the, by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, this is a really profound movie I'm going to be thinking about for a long time. So uh, yeah, uh, great, great film. It's in theaters now, presumably streaming before too long uh but yeah definitely worth your time so good we we have to do an episode on this movie right because we keep talking about it i know know. it's been been my staff pick like four times (laughs) oh wow i'm I'm sorry no 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 no, it's fine it's just you know i think it's been mine at one point as well too. no i mean we all keep wedging it in yes we definitely need to do a a petite moment discussion for sure bring it home iffy Oh, yeah. Well, you know me. This is also a I I believe it'll be a staff pick repeat, but this is an intersection of just kind of like the ideas we were talking about here, which was which is going to be color out of space, where I think people kind of uh, who may have seen clips from it or who just watching it, not really kind of like really taking it in. It will take it as like it's Nick Cage doing like his Nick Cage thing. I was like, well, no, it like calls for it. Like that's why it's great. <laughs> like if you're paying attention to the story, it is someone slowly losing their mind. Uh, you know, so um, so like it, it's 
I and I just once again I it was just everything I love about like it's it's just my personal line of horror where it's like not too jump scary just enough like body horror creepy feels and uh, yeah I think I I think he did a great job in it like not not ironically just like hands down like no it was a great performance and I really enjoyed it. So that's I, my pick. I think the slowly is key there because he comes out. He's such a buttoned down guy at the beginning of that yeah. film. And it goes, it gets really grody that movie, but yeah, I, yeah. I, like, I like that one too. <laughs> yeah. See, okay. See now, now that I, now that I got it, it's Keith approved. So it makes me feel good about my Steph pick. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of which big thanks to Keith Phipps. Thank you Woo! so much. Thanks Woo! for having me. It's a lot of fun. Of, of course. Thanks for coming on. You were amazing. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Oh, gosh. Well, the books books in, in bookstores, I mean, where books are sold, Age of Cage. Um, I do a newsletter with my longtime uh, co-worker, Scott Tobias, called The Reveal, thereveal.substack.com. It's essays and, and reviews and whatnot. And you can find my writing at places like GQ, The Ringer, uh, Vulture, TV Guide. And I'm on Twitter at KFIPS3000. And I, I always link to my pieces there. So that's the best way to keep up. Um, and I also do a podcast called The Next Picture Show with, with Scott Tobias and Jenny Yukoski and Tasha Robinson, where we take an old film and a new film and, and we look at them together. It's next picture show. Oh, yeah. Okay, Andrea and Alonzo, thanks for another wonderful show and another Max Fun Drive season. Woo! We did We're it. Doing yeah. it. We're keeping it pushing. And uh, look, you listener, thank you. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum Fun dot org. Our producer is Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported